Hey, deserving listeners, I thought I would talk about the psychoanalytic concept called psychic retreats. I know that it sounds like a, a retreat for psychics, you know, like a bunch of psychics who can talk with the dead. They all get together at a at a resort somewhere near 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 some water and they they you know they do trust falls and and that kind of thing but so psychic retreat is is not that it's actually something else but i'll get into that all right well this is the psychology in seattle podcast i'm your host dr kirk honda i am a professor and a therapist so psychic retreats came to my attention for the podcast because patron charlotte wrote in if you want your emails to be read online people you got to become a patron of the podcast because patrons get preferred treatment when it comes to this sort of thing. But anyway, so patron Charlotte wrote in, she says, I am a student at a university in Bristol, UK studying the, uh, to be a, uh, she's studying professional doctorate of counseling psychology. <laughs> I worded that very wrongly, but anyway, she says, I recently had a lecture on psychic retreats which is a pathological organization named and identified by John Steiner. I wondered if you knew anything about this and could you talk about it for a bit? I must admit, I found the whole idea a little brain frying, brain frying. Yeah, it's uh, uh, psychoanalytic ideas are all frying of the brain. So, you know, uh, and I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah, so John Steiner first wrote about it in the 1990s, I think. He was writing about this idea of psychic retreat, meaning that your mind retreats or withdraws. You, you know, you try to withdraw from other people. You try to withdraw from reality as a way of coping. So try to think of it that way. It's a, it's a defense mechanism or, or a defensive constellation of things or a pathological organization of the personality to deal with a difficult reality. Steiner is incidentally just one author slash slash clinician in a long series of other author slash clinicians who write about the way that our early childhood development can affect our adult personalities and defenses. You know, it goes all the way back to Freud and there's thousands of people who have talked about various different concepts and, and John Steiner is but one of those many, many people who, who have written about this. Steiner didn't really invent this idea, but, um, but was perhaps you could say that he was one of the people around the time that was trying to help everyone understand why some patients seem to resist therapy particularly borderline people. I think he was trying to help us to empathize with them, and I'll get into more of that later. So the the concept of the psychic retreat can be briefly explained as this. When, when someone is denied proper love and attention as a child, they might develop a pathological style of defense to protect the self from the pain of abandonment or abuse or or some other mistreatment. So because they're being mistreated or they believe they're being mistreated, they uh, develop a pathological style of defense mechanisms to protect themselves 
from that knowledge that the world is a bad place and that they're not being treated well. And sometimes people will develop a particularly rigid style of defense. And this is a rigid style in response to particular uh, extreme mistreatment, shall we say. And when this person comes to therapy later on in their life, their defenses might be particularly difficult to treat because they are so rigid. And then the therapist starts to get frustrated with this because the patient is not responding very well in a way that other patients seem to be responding uh, more rapidly and more readily. Uh, these patients are, quote unquote, resistant to therapy and uh, Steiner is trying to explain this as a potentially a res, uh, the result of psychic retreat. Freud actually called this the negative therapeutic reaction. I did a whole podcast on that. So it's, uh, you know, I won't go into that. But anyway, people call it resistance. People call it by a lot of different names. But uh, the psychic retreat is basically, like I said earlier, a psychic withdrawal which offers a, a temporary elusive escape mechanism from the pain of being emotionally harmed by others. But this retreat or withdrawal leads to very weird, rigid, paranoid ideas about other people. Uh, it's, it's, you know, this sort of propaganda that the person starts developing about the outside world. It's like, oh, you can't really trust others. And this all leads to isolation and loneliness, naturally. In, in simple terms, Patients engaged in a psychic retreat while they're in session are very sure of themselves, even though they could benefit from input from the therapist. Steiner worked a lot with borderline clients who often will become rigid in therapy, and so his concept emerged from that work. Uh, people who suffer from borderline might truly believe that no one can be trusted, even though they desperately want to trust other people. And they truly, truly believe in various propaganda that everyone will abandon them eventually because they have, you know, they, they have experienced chronic abandonment, particularly at a young, at a young age. Steiner wrote about how patients develop this, you know, like I said, rigid propaganda that helps them defense against being emotionally harmed by others. And some used, uh, some have used this concept of Steiner's to explain various different weird behavior in people. Uh, for instance, the 9-11 attacks. The, some people write about how the men who flew the planes in the, into the World Trade Center did so because they rigidly believed their own propaganda. And when people have written about this in particular, I don't really understand what they're saying, I have to admit. But if I was to extend what I do understand what they're saying into what I understand about the psychic retreat, I would say that perhaps, you know, you could hypothesize, although there's no way to know, that these men who flew the planes into the World Trade Center, they might have been shamed and hurt as children, and they retreated into a world of fantasy in which there was an all-bad America and an all-good Islam. This is uh, actually uh, evidence and you know, shows how the psychic retreat concept is, is related to Klein and Fairburn and all these other people that came before Steiner in that 
there's the good breast and the bad breast or the good mother and the bad mother and splitting and how early infants have a difficult, have a difficult time uh, bringing together the fact that the mother can be, you know, both wonderful and nourishing and loving and also just not be there or even be abusive and angry at times that the infant can't reconcile those two people and therefore will split those two people into an all good mother and then an all bad mother. And they have this sort of fantasy that they're two different people and will see when the all bad mother presents herself, she is hated and the baby, the infant will want to destroy that mother and, you know, might even hit the mother and I hate you get away from me. And then when the mother is the all good mother, then the the infant or young child can't even conceive of the mother ever being bad because the 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 baby needs to believe that there's an all good mother because they don't have the ability yet to see gray areas they only see black or white and so as that child develops they move on from that's the paranoid schizoid position they move on to the depressive position where they suddenly realize wait a second my mother is the good mother and the bad mother are the same mother. And that's sort of depressing to think about because what that means is that the, the all mother doesn't exist. There's no such thing as an all good mother. There's a, there's a mostly good mother who actually is a dick sometimes. And that's sort of depressing to children. And that's why Klein called it the depressive position. And it's, it's this, it's this mature, acknowledgement and, and real you know, felt sense that other human beings are basically good, but also you can't really depend on other people all the time. You, you have to be, uh, you have to, you, you have to depend on yourself sometimes, you know, there, there's going to be times when no one's going to be there for you and that's depressing, but it's realistic is the thing. And so as perhaps these men, you know, again, just, total speculation and someone else pointed this out. And so I'm furthering that analysis to try to understand it. But these men might have had that early development and developed uh, and, and stayed in the paranoid schizoid position of black and white thinking in which there's all good mothers and all bad mothers. And when you have that black and white sort of way of thinking, you tend to see politics in the same way. You know, Trump is all bad and Hillary Clinton is all good or vice versa. And this kind of thinking is pathological and that you can't see the gray. You can't see that like, well, Trump has good and bad qualities and Hillary Clinton has good and bad qualities. You see actually, so just going on this road for a little bit, politics are a good opportunity to, as a litmus test for, to see how mature someone is. The more black and white they are when it comes to politics, the more evidence you have of the fact that, this person in all likelihood was denied the sort of nurturing and emotional nurturing that they deserved when they were young at a stage when they were still thinking about the world in this black and white way. When you're denied love and, and emotional nurturance during early life, when you're in that splitting mode of seeing the world as either as seeing your mother's as either all good or all bad, when you're denied, you know, 
the the necessary emotional safety to develop into the depressive position, you stay in that mode of seeing things in a black and white way. And you will see politicians in a black and white way. You'll tend to like movies and stories that have definite evil and definite good guys like in you know, in hero movies where there's a, there's a good guy and there's a, there's an evil villain. Those are, are very titillating and very, um, uh, satisfying to people who are splitting. And we all do it. We all like to regress to that earlier phase because it's comforting to think about the world in that simplistic way. But, um, but anyway, so these men might've grown up in, I think they grew up, they were Saudi Arabian, and they might have, uh, you know, been in this black and white way of thinking because of being mistreated as children. And then they see America as all bad and where they're from is all good, and, and they want to destroy America. And then they proceed to, um, you know, fly a plane into the World Trade Center. So, anyway, moving on from that. When, when someone has a complex around humiliation and narcissism and shame, they, you know, they retreat psychically. So when you're, when you're a child and, and you're being shamed and humiliated and uh, you need to be uh, narcissistic in order to hold on to some level of self-esteem, it, it's a difficult place to be and you'll retreat psychically, you'll, you'll you know, you, you will engage in psychic retreat as a way of avoiding being truly seen as a way of hiding your vulnerabilities as a way of upholding your sense of superiority. You know, you have to, you have to pull away from the world in order to have a fantasy that, that you're superior to other people. And you do this as a way of avoiding further humiliation and shame. The further you are from other people, the more you're divorced from reality, the less likelihood you're going to be hurt and shamed and abandoned and, and made to realize that, that you're part good and part bad, that you're mostly good, but you also have bad qualities. So not only you know is the good mother and the bad mother of interest, but a good self and a bad self is also of interest because you're always interjecting and internalizing all these things. And so this knowledge that, wait a second, so I'm not all good. I'm mostly good, but I, I also have a lot of flaws. That's also a marker of maturity that is facilitated by good parenting. When you have bad parenting, you, you emerge from childhood often with either an overblown sense of your own awesomeness or an overblown sense of your own, uh, of your own faults. People as adults who are over who beat themselves up too much uh, are seeing themselves as all bad and seeing other people as all good. Anyway, so again, this is the a psychic retreat is a learned defense from early life in response to tremendous anxiety and pain. They will uh, sometimes when people as adults, when they are engaged in psychic retreat ongoing, they, they might complain about it. They might say to you, I, I'm, I just feel like I'm always pulling away from other people and I never give people a chance and I'm always lonely and this sucks. 
But other people will say that the reason why they're pulling away is because they're being unfairly persecuted by other people. So they'll be angry about it. So they won't be sad about it. They'll just be like, you know, other people suck and that's why I'm lonely and, and the world is against me and that's why I'm, I feel so lonely. And then you'll find other people that, and this is perhaps the most pathological version of this, is that they actually will idealize their own isolation and their own psychic retreat. They, you know, let's say like, I'm independent. I don't need other people. Other people who depend on others, they're fools. Why would they depend on others? You know, you can never really depend on others. And look at me, I'm so great because I don't need people and I never have and I never let anyone in. And I, I always keep secrets because those are powerful and I will never, even even if someone is very nice to me, I will never, ever let them see me. And, you know, according to Steiner and others, this is this is all different versions of, of ways of observing the self in the state of psychic retreat. And this is all to say from Steiner that if the therapist is going to help these sorts of patients, the therapist must pay attention to the patient's sensitivity to shame and humiliation and being seen. When, when, when patients have been hurt as children emotionally and, and abandoned and shamed and humiliated, they develop a complex around that. And so if you're going to, when, when you run into resistance on behalf of the patient because they're refusing to allow themselves to be in the room, you as they start to reveal themselves, you have to be very careful about humiliating them, even in ways that you don't think would humiliate them. You know, a borderline patient starts talking about their own uh, difficulties, and instead of pouncing on them and saying, like, see, you do have something wrong with you. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you, you want to just be very careful around shame and humiliation, and uh, Steiner tried to emphasize that. Steiner also wrote about the use of countertransference with patients who retreat as a way of discovering the patient's use of projective identification. This, this puts John Steiner in a, again, a large group of authors and clinicians who would talk about the use of projective identification to learn about countertransfer or to learn, you know, to pay attention to essentially you pay as a therapist, you pay attention to how you feel and the different uh, in, inducements that and emotional uh, reactions you're having to the patient as a way of trying to learn the internal life of the patient. Because as the patient uses projective identification, the patient will induce you, the therapist, to feel certain things and to have certain urges. And when you really pay attention to your countertransference, you, you learn what they're trying to make you feel. And then you learn about more about their inner world. And Steiner was you know one of thousands of people that were saying such a thing. But... Now, because the patient often defensively retreats from interpretations of the patient, because, you know, so as the, as the therapist starts to comment on the relationship style of the patient, the patient will, will retreat and, that's, and will resist that and will make the therapist frustrated because the the, the clients like, you know, say for instance, um, you, you know, it's, it's session 20 patient comes in and, and says, well, it, ha- it happened again. Another, another friend of mine abandoned me and, and, and didn't do anything to, you know, didn't, 
didn't do good by me. And the therapist says, okay, well, tell me what happened. And then the patient says, well, you know, I called up my friend and I told her, you know, why haven't you called me? You, you know, you you never call me. And then that friend got upset at me and said, I should go to hell. And now I've lost another friend. And the therapist is like, okay, well, let's really look at this. It sounds like you were upset and you called your friend and yelled at your friend and accused them of something. And maybe they felt that was unfair. And that's why they are rejecting you. It's so, you know, it's, it's you, it's not them. And that can be so humiliating and shame, shameful and shame inducing for the patient that they will resist that. If you say that to a non-borderliner, a non-personality disordered or a differentiated, mostly differentiated patient, they'll say, oh yeah, you know what? Maybe it, maybe that is on me. Maybe, maybe that's my fault. Maybe I should have done that. And, and many clients of mine will, will do that. But people who have been routinely and pathologically shamed and humiliated their entire life and abandoned, they're so sensitive naturally to being criticized and rejected that when you comment on their relationship patterns in that way, they might consider it to be a slight criticism and that is threatening to them and triggering to them because they believe that after criticism comes abandonment. And so they will be hurt and then they get really angry because they actually deep down think that this is the beginning of the end of your relationship when it's not. But so, so what, Steiner would say, and other clinicians would, would, did this too at the time, is he said, instead of commenting and interpreting the patient, you allow the patient to interpret you as the, as the therapist. So as a therapist, you, you might say, what do you think I'm thinking? You know, so I'm the therapist and I say to my client, what do you think I'm thinking about that? So, you know, so the client comes in, talks about all the, um, you know, the friend and how she called the friend and said, you never call me and, and you, you never pay attention to me. And then the friend told, told me that she didn't want to hang out with me anymore. And instead of commenting on that, you say, well, so you've just told me the story and I'm listening. What do you think I think about that? So, or you might ask, how do you, how do you think I feel about that story? Now, this is a very interesting thing, and it's very psychodynamic, very psychoanalytic work. But what Steiner saying, and others would say this too, is that it, it, it's, a, it's a less threatening way for the client to explore something. So instead of the client, instead of the therapist commenting on the client's behavior and, and giving some, some interpretation, the client is is, is commenting on the therapist, which, so the therapist is putting themselves up for scrutiny in the patient's eyes. And this is, of course, much more tolerable in all likelihood for a patient than the other way around. So, you know, the patient might say something like, well, I think that you think that I'm, uh, I did the right thing <laughs> or, or, or I did the wrong thing. Okay. Tell me more about that. And so, Steiner believed through experience, and he wrote about this, that that mode of therapy is much more tolerable, much more safe, much less threatening to the patient, and 
when you do that, you will be much less likely to provoke a psychic retreat or a psychic, psychic withdrawal on behalf of the client. And it also allows for the patient to play around with the, with the depressive position of, of wondering about the gray zone. Um, so anyway. And by the way, Steiner thought that all of us will engage in psychic retreat from time to time. And for more disturbed individuals with more disturbed personalities and pathological organizations, they will engage in psychic retreat much more often and with much more intensity. But we all engage in occasional psychic retreat because it's a normal defense me mechanism in the same way that we all engage in projective identification and displacement and all those things. It's just a matter of how often and how, how rigid are they and how intense are they? All right. Well, I hope that answers or, you know, satiates your desire patron Charlotte for me to talk about psychic retreats. I hope I didn't, make it even more confusing because it sounds like the presentation that you saw uh, was confusing to you, or, or at least as you said, it fried your brain. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. If you want more episodes like this, please become a patron of the podcast. When people do that, it makes it easier for me to spend time on this sort of thing. Cause it, you know, I can't just talk off the top of my head. I have to do a, you know, a bit of reading and a bit of thinking and a bit of, you know, blah, blah, blahing. And so, well, that sounds funny. Uh, basically just reading <laughs> and thinking and writing and talking, I guess, as well, researching a topic. So when there are, the more patrons there are, the more time I can take away from my regular work and the better I can make this podcast. So that is me trying to make people become patrons. <laughs> All right, well, that does it for this episode. Please take care of yourself and take care of others because we all deserve it.